Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Celestica fourth quarter 2020 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. Thank you. I'd now like to hand the conference over to Craig Oberg, Vice President, Investor Relations. Mr. Oberg, please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Celestica's fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. On the call today are Rob Mionis, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mandeep Chawla, Chief Financial Officer. As a reminder, during this call, we will make forward-looking statements within the meanings of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and applicable Canadian securities laws. Such forward-looking statements are based on management's current expectations, forecasts, and assumptions, which are subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause actual outcomes and results to differ materially from conclusions, forecasts, or projections expressed in such statements. For identification and discussion of such factors and assumptions, as well as further information concerning forward-looking statements, please refer to today's press release, including the cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements therein, our most recent annual report on Form 20F, and our other public filings, which can be accessed at sec.gov, and cedar.com. We assume no obligation to update any forward-looking statement except as required by law. In addition, during this call, we will refer to various non-IFRS measures, including operating earnings, operating margin, adjusted gross margin, adjusted return on invested capital or adjusted ROIC, free cash flow, gross debt to non-IFRS trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio, adjusted net earnings, adjusted EPS, adjusted SG&A, and adjusted effective tax rate. Listeners should be cautioned that references to any of the foregoing measures during this call denote non-IFRS measures, whether or not specifically designated as such. These non-IFRS measures do not have any standardized meanings prescribed by IFRS and may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other public companies that use IFRS or who report under U.S. GAAP and use non-GAAP measures to describe similar operating metrics. We refer you to today's press release and our Q4 2020 earnings presentation, which are available at celestica.com under the Investor Relations tab for more information about these and certain other non-IFRS measures, including a reconciliation of historical non-IFRS measures to our most directly comparable IFRS measures from our financial statements. Unless otherwise specified, all references to dollars on this call are to U.S. dollars, and per-share information is based on diluted shares outstanding. Let me now turn the call over to Rob. Thank you, Craig. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's conference call. Lustica delivered a solid fourth quarter to end a year of unprecedented challenges. Fourth quarter revenue was within our guidance range, while operating margin and adjusted EPS were above the midpoint of our ranges. Within our ATS segment, we achieved strong revenue growth in health tech and capital equipment, 
and reported sequential improvement in segment margin for the third consecutive quarter, as well as improvement in segment margin on a year-over-year basis. Despite these successes, demand weakness in commercial aerospace offset the strong growth in other businesses. Within CCS, we successfully concluded our Cisco disengagement in the fourth quarter. Q4 revenue decreased year-over-year and sequentially, with Cisco revenue declines more than offsetting growth in other areas. Despite the revenue decline, the segment posted expanded margin on a year-over-year basis for the fourth consecutive quarter and operated above our 2 to 3% target range. Our JDM business continues to experience impressive growth. JDM revenues were $211 million in the fourth quarter, up 53% year-over-year. JDM represented approximately 15% of our total company revenues in Q4. Many of you attended our JDM roundtable in December, where we discussed key elements of the business. For example, we noted that we have more than 500 JDM design engineers across the globe working on current and next-generation hardware platform solutions. We have over 280 patents safeguarding our hardware technical advantage, and we drive a robust IP management process. Since the inception of JDM, we have launched over 150 programs and shipped more than 2.5 million units to our customers worldwide. The term Joint Design and Manufacturing, or JDM, describes this offering as it began over a decade ago as a co-development model. However, we feel the term does not fully reflect the extensive evolution of our business over the last 10 years. It does not describe the breadth and depth of our current offering and roadmaps, the scope of our capabilities across the product lifecycle, nor the leading edge solutions, which have been fueled by more than 10 years of significant R&D investment. Therefore, moving forward, we will be referring to JDM as Hardware Platform Solutions, or HPS. Said more simply, JDM is an, is an engagement model and capability that we offer within our broader Hardware Platform Solutions offering. We believe that HPS is a highly strategic offering within Swastika's portfolio currently enabled by a comprehensive slate of more than 40 hardware platforms. Moreover, our HPS offerings support customers across the product lifecycle and generates accretive margins, sharing many of the highly valued attributes of our ATS segment. Additionally, HPS has a diverse patent portfolio, comprehensive product roadmaps, and a deep ecosystem of partnerships with industry-leading companies. HPS revenue and ATS segment revenue together represent what we call lifecycle solutions. In 2020, lifecycle solutions represented more than half of our total revenue and had an average growth rate of 8% over the last three years. We expect the revenue growth of lifecycle solutions to continue in the coming years and for it to represent a larger portion of our total revenues. This is in line with our diversification strategy and provides higher value added solutions to enable our customers. I will provide some additional color on our end markets and outlook shortly, but first, I will turn the call over to Mandeep to give you some details on the fourth quarter and our first quarter 21 guidance. Thank you, Rob, and good morning, everyone. For the fourth quarter of 2020, revenue of $1.39 billion was within our guidance range and decreased 7% year over year 
and 11% sequentially. Our non-IFRS operating margin for Q4 2020 was 3.6%, 10 basis points above the midpoint of our revenue and adjusted EPS guidance ranges, up 70 basis points year-over-year, and down 30 basis points sequentially. The year-over-year improvement was driven by improved productivity and mix across several of our businesses. The sequential decrease was due to mix in CCS, partly offset by improvement in ATS. Non-IFRS-adjusted earnings per share were one cent above the midpoint, up eight cents year-over-year, and down six cents sequentially. Fourth quarter IFRS earnings per share were 16 cents, up 21 cents year-over-year, and down eight cents sequentially. Our ATS segment was 37% of our consolidated revenues during the quarter, down from 39% in the fourth quarter of last year. ATS revenue was down 12% compared to last year, and in line with our expectations of a low double-digit percentage year-over-year decline. Sequentially, ATS revenue was down 2%. The year-over-year and sequential decline was driven primarily by continued pressure in A&D, specifically in our commercial aerospace and industrial businesses, largely due to COVID-19. This was partly offset by continued strength in health tech and capital equipment driven by new program ramps. Our CCS segment revenue was down 4% year-over-year, in line with our expectations of a low single-digit year-over-year decline due to the Cisco disengagement. Sequentially, CCS revenue was down 15%. As we look forward to the next few quarters, the disengagement from Cisco will continue to impact our year-over-year comparables. However, we are pleased with the growth we are seeing in the rest of the CCS portfolio. Revenue from our remaining CCS customers grew by 15% in Q4 2020 compared to the prior year period. Within our CCS segment, the communications end market represented 43% of our consolidated fourth quarter revenue, up from 39% in the fourth quarter of last year, driven by growth in HPS. Communications revenue in the quarter was up 2% year-over-year, primarily due to robust demand from service provider customers, offsetting the impact from the Cisco disengagement. Sequentially, communications revenue was down 15%, mainly driven by the Cisco disengagement. Our enterprise end market represented 20% of consolidated revenue in the fourth quarter, down from 22% in the same period last year. Enterprise revenue in the quarter was down 13% year-over-year and down 14% sequentially. Year-over-year and sequential declines were mainly driven by demand softness. Our HPS business continued to be an area of strength in the fourth quarter, with revenue up 53% year-over-year, driven by new program ramps and our ability to deliver on increased demand from our hyperscaler customers. For 2020, HPS achieved $862 million of revenue, up 80% compared to 2019, and accounted for 15% of our total company full-year revenue. As Rob mentioned, Lifecycle Solutions revenue is comprised of the revenues from our ATS segment and HPS business. For the full year 2020, Lifecycle Solutions represented $2.95 billion in revenue, up 7% year-over-year, and accounted for 51% of our 2020 consolidated revenue. Our top 10 customers represented 67% of revenue during the fourth quarter, down 1% from the same period last year and last quarter. Top 10 customers represented 66% of our 2020 revenue, up 1% from last year. For the fourth quarter, Celestica had two customers who represented 10% or more of our total revenue, 
compared to one in the prior quarter and two in the fourth quarter of 2019. No customer represented more than 10% of 2020 revenues. Turning to segment margin. ATS segment margin continued on a positive trajectory, achieving a margin of 3.9%, up 90 basis points year-over-year, year, and up 20 basis points sequentially. The year-over-year year improvement was driven by volume leverage in our capital equipment and health tech businesses, combined with our productivity actions, which more than offset the headwinds in our A&D business. The sequential improvement was driven by improved performance across a number of businesses. ACS segment margin of 3.4% was above our target range of 2% to 3%, up 50 basis points year-over-year, year, but down 60 basis points sequentially. The year-over-year year margin improvement was driven by our productivity actions and favorable mix. The sequential margin decline, which was anticipated, was mainly due to normalizing demand and fewer one-time recoveries. Moving on to some additional financial highlights for the quarter. IFRS net earnings for the quarter were $20.1 million, or $0.16 cents per share, compared to a net loss of $7 million, or a $0.05 cent loss per share in the same quarter of last year, and net earnings of $30.4 million, or $0.24 cents per share in the third quarter of this year. Adjusted gross margin of 8.4% was up 140 basis points compared to the same period last year, and up 30 basis points sequentially. Year-over-year year and sequential improvements were largely driven by improved mix and productivity efforts across the business, despite lower revenues. Fourth quarter adjusted SG&A of $56.5 million was up $4.1 million versus a year ago, primarily due to higher variable compensation. Adjusted SG&A was relatively flat sequentially. Non-IFRS adjusted operating earnings were $50 million, up $6.3 million from the same quarter last year, and down $10.1 million sequentially. Our non-IFRS adjusted effective tax rate for the fourth quarter was 19%, compared to 27% for the prior year period and 20% last quarter. We are pleased with the improvement in our overall tax rate, largely due to a normalization of profit mix. For the fourth quarter, adjusted net earnings were $33.3 million, compared to $23.7 million for the prior year period and $40.9 million last quarter. Non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share of $0.26 cents were within our guidance range and up $0.08 cents year over year due to higher operating earnings, lower taxes, and lower interest expense. Sequentially, non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share were down $0.06, cents, mainly due to lower operating earnings partly offset by lower taxes. Fourth quarter, non-IFRS adjusted ROIC of 12.4% was up 1.8% compared to the same quarter of last year and down 2.8% sequentially. Annual adjusted ROIC for 2020 was 12.4%, up 3.2% compared to 2019. Moving on to working capital. Our inventory at the end of the quarter was $1.09 billion, down $114 million sequentially and up $99 million relative to the prior year period, largely driven by investments in our HPS business. Inventory turns were 4.4 in the fourth quarter, down 0.3 turns sequentially, and down 1.1 turns year-over-year. Capital expenditures for the fourth quarter were $19 million, or approximately 1% of revenue. Non-IFRS free cash flow was $18.5 million in the fourth quarter, compared to $43.8 million for the same period last year, 
we are pleased to have been able to generate positive free cash flow for eight quarters in a row, despite the unprecedented challenges in 2020. Looking at the full year 2020, we generated non-IFRS free cash flow of $126 million, in line with our full year target of generating $100 million or more. Cash cycle days in the fourth quarter were 73 days, up 11 days year over year, and up 12 days sequentially. Our cash deposits at the end of December 2020 were $175 million, down $32 million sequentially. Moving on to some additional key metrics. We continue to maintain a strong balance sheet. Our cash balance at the end of the fourth quarter was $464 million, down $16 million compared to 2019, and up $12 million sequentially. Combined with our $450 million revolver, which remains undrawn, we have a very strong liquidity position of over $900 million in available funds. We believe we have sufficient liquidity to meet our current business needs. Our gross debt position was $470 million at the end of December 2020, while our net debt was $6 million, an improvement of $13 million versus the end of the third quarter of 2020. Our fourth quarter gross debt to non-IFRS trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA leverage ratio was 1.6 turn, flat sequentially, and a 0.6 turn improvement from Q4 2019. The year-over-year improvement is the result of strong free cash flow generation, disciplined debt reduction, and improved operating profitability. At the end of December 2020, we were compliant with all financial covenants under our credit agreement. As we have shared previously, our capital priorities are to return 50% of free cash flow to shareholders and to invest the remaining amount in the business over the long term. We are pleased with our track record over the last 10 years, making strategic investments in the business, while at the same time returning over $1.2 billion to shareholders through buybacks. When looking at investments, we are focused on both organic opportunities and capability-based acquisitions. When approaching an acquisition, our approach and filter are well-defined. We look for investments that are aligned to our strategic roadmaps with a filter intended to ensure that they drive a creative EPS in year one and an ROI that exceeds our cost of capital by year two or sooner. We also weigh these investment decisions against alternative uses of cash, such as share buybacks. Recently, our stock price has been undervalued, having traded below tangible book value for the majority of 2020. In response to this undervaluation, and in order to opportunistically purchase shares, we launched a share buyback program on November 19th. In the fourth quarter, we incurred $7 million of restructuring charges to adjust our cost base to better adapt to fluctuating levels of demand, including in our A&D business and as we completed the Cisco disengagement. For the full year 2020, we have recorded $26 million of restructuring charges against our earlier estimate of $30 million. Now turning to our guidance for the first quarter of 2021, we are projecting first quarter revenue to be in the range of $1.175 billion to $1.275 billion. At the midpoint of this range, revenue would be down approximately 7% year over year and down 12% sequentially. First quarter non-IFRS adjusted earnings per share are expected to range between $0.18 to $0.24 per share. At the midpoint of our revenue and adjusted EPS guidance ranges, our non-IFRS operating margin would be approximately 3.4%, an increase of 50 basis points over the same period last year and a decrease of 20 basis points sequentially. 
Non-IFRS-adjusted SG&A expense for the first quarter is expected to be in the range of $51 to $53 million. Based on the projected geographical mix of our profit in the first quarter, we anticipate our non-IFRS-adjusted effective tax rate to be approximately 20%, excluding any impacts from taxable foreign exchange or unanticipated tax settlements. Turning to our end market outlook for the first quarter of 2021. In our ATS end market, we anticipate revenue to be down in the mid-single-digit percentage range year-over-year due to sustained weakness in commercial aerospace as a result of COVID-19, partly offset by growth in our capital equipment and health tech businesses. For 2021, however, we are targeting ATS revenue to grow 10% year-over-year, largely driven by ramping programs in capital equipment and health tech. In CCS, we anticipate our communications and market revenue to be down in the high single-digit percentage range year-over-year, driven by our disengagement from Cisco. The remainder of our portfolio is growing, driven by strength in HPS. In our enterprise end market, we anticipate revenue to decrease in the low teen percentage range year-over-year, driven by weaker end market demand. I'll now turn the call over to Rob for additional color and an update on our business priorities. Thank you, Mandeep. 2020 was an unprecedented year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. However, our entire global team mobilized quickly and stepped up to meet the challenges head on. As the number of COVID-19 cases rises again around the globe, we are seeing governments respond with additional restrictions to slow the spread of the virus. We continue to effectively manage COVID-19 related challenges and are currently experiencing minimal disruption to our operations. As circumstances evolve, we will continue to adapt to any new challenges and work to maintain operational continuity. Now turning to our segments, in ATS, strong bookings momentum has us excited about our prospects to grow this portion of our business. We continue to see strong demand in our capital equipment business, driven by increased demand in our base semi-business, as well as new program ramps across a number of adjacent capital equipment markets. Industry sources are forecasting continued growth in wafer fab equipment in 2021. In our display business, we anticipate growth towards the end of the year as site utilization rates for small form factor displays are expected to drive increased demand. In A&D, headwinds continue in our commercial aerospace business as operators continue to work to reduce overall expenses in light of reduced demand. We continue to take cost productivity actions given that we anticipate market headwinds to persist through 2021. Demand in our defense business remains stable and we continue to make investments to grow this business. We are encouraged by the bookings momentum in A&D as we have added nine new customers including major airframers and defense contractors. In industrial, we continue to experience a recovery of demand across our customer base as the impact of COVID-19 begins to moderate. And within health tech, we continue to experience strong growth as we continue to ramp recent wins. We expect the strong momentum to continue into 2021. Now turning to CCS, we continue to reap the benefits of our portfolio shaping efforts, resulting in improved revenue mix and margins. Our hardware platform solutions business posted another quarter of growth, partly offsetting the impact from our Cisco disengagement. I'm pleased that we have achieved our backfill target with a richer mix of programs. As I look back on our performance in 2020, 
we improved our operating results on a year-over-year basis, driving significant segment margin and adjusted EPS growth, while also generating strong free cash flow. Additionally, we made meaningful progress in a number of areas towards executing our strategy. First, our global team responded to the difficulties posed by the pandemic, maintained a high standard of service despite the challenges posed to operations. As a result of this effort, over 90% of the participating customers ranked Celestica either number one or number two on their customer scorecards. Second, despite meaningful headwinds in some of our key markets, we improved ATS segment margin by 50 basis points in 2020 compared to 2019, and CCS operated above its target segment margin in the last three quarters of 2020. Non-IFRS operating margin of 3.5% improved 80 basis points in 2020 as compared to 2019, and non-IFRS adjusted EPS in 2020 was up 80% year over year. Third, despite the volatility seen in customer demand and the difficult macro environment, we successfully executed on a number of new program ramps, which allowed for double-digit percentage revenue growth in our HPS business, as well as other markets. Our HPS business saw impressive growth of 80% compared to 2019 as a result of investments made over many years. We believe HPS will continue to be a driver of growth for the company in the future. And finally, we strengthen our balance sheet by generating over $100 million of free cash flow, reducing our net debt position to $6 million, and launching an NCIB program to opportunistically repurchase shares. We believe that our transformational efforts over the last few years have positioned our business to capitalize on new opportunities and overcome challenges that may lie ahead. As we enter 2021, we remain committed to our strategy of diversifying our business growing revenue in targeted areas, and improving margins. As such, we have set the following targets for ourselves. First, within our ATS segment, we are targeting 10% year-to-year revenue growth in 2021, and for the business to return to its target margin range of 5 to 6% by the end of the year, driven by growth in capital equipment, industrial, and health tech, as well as ongoing cost productivity actions. Second, Within our CCS segment, we are targeting high single-digit percentage growth in our HPS business, which will partially offset our non-HPS revenue decline, primarily as a result of the disengagement with Cisco. CCS segment margin is expected to be firmly in our target range of 2 to 3% in 2021. Third, we are targeting to generate $100 million or more of free cash flow in 2021, and we'll continue to have a disciplined approach towards capital allocation. And lastly, we expect Lifecycle Solutions revenue, which is comprised of APS segment and HPS business revenues, to grow in the high single digits, further enabling us to achieve our objective of materially diversifying our revenue in the next few years. To sum up, I am pleased with our performance in a very challenging environment. The last few years required some difficult decisions and focused efforts, but we believe that these decisions and our strong execution are paying dividends. We remain committed to executing on our strategy to drive long-term, sustainable, profitable growth. I would like to acknowledge and thank our employees for their hard work and dedication to our business. Their efforts have been tremendous. 
As a global team, we have overcome the unprecedented challenges faced in 2020. I have the utmost confidence that we will continue to deliver results and execute on our priorities for 2021. And finally, I would also like to thank our customers for their trust and loyalty and our shareholders for their continued support of Solastica. We look forward to updating you on our progress over the coming quarters. And with that, I would now like to turn the call over to the operator to begin our Q&A. Certainly. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on our telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Paul Steep with Scotia Capital, your line is open. Great morning. Um, Rob, maybe talking a little bit, like it's been a consistent theme across, I guess, almost the last year where your health tech business has been cited as, you know, new program ramps. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about what the outlook is for that business in terms of expanding it and, you know, how meaningful it is within the portfolio. Hi, Paul. Uh, good morning as well. Uh, yes, uh, the health tech business has been growing uh, quite nicely uh, for us over the last year and is expected to be a source of growth for us uh, going forward. It is the smallest segment uh, within our ATS uh, business. Uh, that being said, you know, it grew by over 30% in, in 2020, and we're looking for very strong growth in, in 21. Uh, we've recently won uh, lots of new programs in the areas of ultrasounds, PPE, diagnostic equipment, and frankly, all equipment related to uh, combating this uh, terrible uh, virus that we have on our hands. On the flip side, um, some of the demand for surgical instruments uh, is a little bit uh, sluggish as well. Uh, but, you know, uh, we continue to win new programs. We continue to have a very capable team uh, and um, we're very bullish on the outlook for the full year for our health tech business. Fantastic. And then just maybe to clarify overall on the comments here, Mandeep or Rob, either of you, could you weigh in, I guess, one on what your expectations would be around CapEx and then maybe help us frame how we should think about the working cap moves in the business, obviously with growth in, I guess, what we're now calling HPS. It seems like that sort of held up or is that, you know, unrelated in terms of, you know, maybe a little bit more upfront working cap demand. Thanks, guys. Sure. Um, <clears throat> good morning, uh, Paul. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll start at the highest level, which is we're targeting to generate over $100 million of free cash flow in 2021. Um, we continue to see improvements in our overall working capital, um, but there are dynamics um, happening and you're hitting on a, a couple of them. Uh, our inventory has been growing uh, to support the HPS business over 2020, so we believe we have sufficient levels of inventory. But as that business continues to grow, and again, we're targeting high single digits uh, growth in 2021, uh, we'll proportionally build the inventory. But to uh, help offset some of that, we still have inventory builds in other parts of our business that we still need to continue to unwind. And uh, we're working very diligently uh, towards uh, doing that. The rest of the working capital is largely in line with our expectations. For CapEx, uh, CapEx came in lower in, in 2020. We typically generate around 1.5% of our revenue uh, in CapEx, uh, or maybe more simplistically, maybe around $80 million we spend per year. Uh, we spent about $55 million in 2020. And a lot, a lot of that had to do with COVID and just um, 
putting uh, projects that weren't of the highest priority uh, on hold and some of them shifting into 2021. Uh, our outlook right now is uh, somewhere in the 80 to $90 million range for CapEx uh, in 2021, so back to more normalized levels. Great. Um, actually, in the last one, just to clarify, Mandeep, I know you've mentioned cost actions a few times. I'm assuming all those are buried and baked into sort of the higher level commentary you guys provided this morning. Uh, it is. So we've been taking restructuring actions, as you know, for a number of years. Uh, this year, we took $26 million restructuring. We we had an original estimate of $30 million. We were able to spend a little bit less because of the um, uh, good progress that we made on, on ramping new programs and facilities where we were losing revenue. Um, but we will be taking some tuck-in uh, actions in 2021 as well. I would uh, assume that the restructuring charges looking into next year will be more at our normalized levels, uh, somewhere in the 10 to $15 million range. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Todd Copeland with CIBC. Your line is open. Uh, great. Good morning, everyone. Um, I also wanted to ask about a segment uh, in uh, ATS, the semiconductor segment. Um, you're calling it out as a as a growth area in in, in 2021. Um, can, you, can you talk about the pace of growth in the semi business and whether that uh, forecast is is locked in, uh, or could there be uh, pockets of strength? And the reason I'm asking is investors often want to connect what has been a, appears to have been a surge in the semi market and link that back to uh, how it impacts uh, your customers and your business. Thanks very much. Thanks, Todd. Uh, yeah, uh, capital equipment uh, has been strong uh, in 20, and we expect it to be strong in in 21. Uh, as you know, just from a broad market perspective, what we're seeing here is, is a long-term secular growth theme in the semi-industry, including the build-out of data centers, the expansion of high-speed communication networks, all being accelerated. Because we also uh, read in the news that the auto industry uh, uh, are saying that they're running out of uh, chips. It's largely for the older 200-millimeter uh, technology equipment. And they're also upgrading their designs, which is, again, um, bodes well for wafer fab equipment growth. UBS just uh, raised their predictions for 21 from 8.5% to 12%. And on top of that, uh, a good portion of our wins and our growth in 21 is coming from uh, new program growth and, and uh, share gains uh, going into 21. So all that being said, um, you know, we're, we're bullish on the outlet. We think capital equipment <clears throat> will uh, get stronger as the year gets longer. In terms of our visibility, you know, customers uh, typically uh, provide a slot plans, I guess, out for six months, sentiment to a full year, slot plans for six months. And then inside of a quarter, uh, they tend to firm things up. Things tend to wiggle around, obviously, but um, yeah, I would say that's kind of the visibility that we have. But broadly speaking, um, you, know, um, you know, industry analysts and our customers are bullish about the, about the year and the secular trends. Okay. And those slot plans, um, if you were to compare them now to where they were, uh, I guess, uh, at the end of September, can you sort of characterize uh, the change from one quarter to the next? Yeah, it's certainly uh, increasing aligned with um, uh, the forecast for 21. It's, it's been picking up a little bit uh, relative to, um, you know, the September timeframe. Again, it, uh, it takes a little time for those slot plans to turn into uh, POs and, and 
you know, it, it is capital equipment. So the industry is certainly cyclical and, and uh, somewhat dynamic, uh, but the trends are, are certainly there. One last question for me, if I could. Uh, the sure. margin impact from this pickup in ATS, uh, just, just talk about the, the rhythm over the course of the year and how it fits with that 5 to 6% uh, outlook by the fourth quarter. Thanks a lot. Great. Uh, good morning, uh, Todd. Uh, so we've been happy with the performance that, um, and the momentum that we've been seeing in ATS. Um, as you know, we did 3.9% uh, just this last quarter, and we are expecting uh, to continue to see improvement going into 2021. We're targeting to get back into the target margin range of 5% to 6% by the end of the year. And uh, really the drivers to um, uh, get us from where we are to, to there is continuing growth in capital equipment. That'd be the largest driver. We expect continuing performance from the health tech business as we ramp programs and, and have strong, a strong margin profile. But capital equipment, because of its heavy fixed cost structure, as we continue to grow the revenue, we will see disproportionate benefits. And so we expect that we will see some margin improvement, uh, especially as we go towards the second half of 2021. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Doug. Robert Young with Canaccord, your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, the, um, I think you said that the revenue from customers outside of Cisco and the CCS business had grown, I think it was 15%. Maybe if you could reconfirm that number. Um, and if you could talk about that relative to the capacity uh, that's left uh, unused by Cisco, how is that backfilling? Is that are these new customers, are, are you part of this, you're backfilling some of that capacity and where are you in backfilling, you know, the, the Cisco uh, business? Great. Uh, good morning, Rob. I'll take the first part and uh, I'll let Rob take the second part. So yes, uh, CCS did grow, uh, excluding the Cisco disengagement. We grew by 15% in the fourth quarter um, when you exclude Cisco. And, uh, you know, another KPI, if you look at it on a full year basis, CCS actually grew by 9%. Uh, excluding the Cisco disengagement. And I'll let Rob touch on the second piece. Yeah, hi, Rob. Um, so as you previously mentioned, uh, we're not looking to backfill uh, the Cisco revenue dollar for dollar, but we're just focused on uh, revenue that has a higher value-add content. Uh, we put a target in, in place for ourselves at the end of uh, last year, and we fulfilled that target. I would say uh, the mix is largely on our HPS business in terms of uh, backfilling that target. And, you know, we're very pleased that we're able to um, uh, achieve that goal and very pleased with how our portfolio shaping initiatives are coming along. Okay, great. And then uh, the way that you're going to go forward uh, reporting the JDM or HPS business, it's still going to be reported under the CCS business, so the margin target of 2 to 3% in 2021, is that, that includes HPS. Am I correct with that? That's, that's correct, uh, Rob. We continue to have two operating businesses, ATS and CCS. Um, but when we just talk about the revenue as lifecycle solutions, we're, we're putting the, the, the revenue of HPS and, H, and ATS together uh, just to highlight the fact that they have uh, very similar uh, attributes. But um, our HPS business is firmly in the CCS uh, segment, and the 2 to 3% margin uh, target range is inclusive of that. Okay, great. And then... Um... I mean, the, the growth in the uh, the JDM business in 2020 was very strong, and you're declining now to single digits, which is still good, but I mean, is there any uh, potential for upside, uh, or like, why is it declining, uh, why is the growth declining so much, and then is there potential for um, the growth to be higher than what you're guiding today based on, you know, opportunity in front of you? 
Hey, Rob. Yeah, we had some very, uh, very strong growth, uh, 80% growth year over year with uh, JDM. Uh, it is still, uh, or HPS, I should say, it is still growing uh, in 21. And there is certainly uh, opportunity for upside. It all just depends on the long-term secular uh, trends, you know, um, you know, in terms of uh, switching edge compute uh, and the expansion of data centers around the world. We have a, a very healthy uh, portfolio of products. Uh, uh, so um, we'll have to see how the year plays out. But, you know, right now we think, you know, high single digits is where it's going to land, but it certainly could be higher. And I guess part of what I was asking is that the HPS business has um, the cycle time. Is it the, the type of business where you could book and then convert business in 2021 that you don't have in your plan today? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, uh, it's a, a business we can actually book and, and, uh, and uh, do have book and build inside the year. No question about it. Okay. Maybe last question for me. I'll pass the line. The, um, the margin recovery in the ATS business, would you say that that's more driven by um, the cost uh, takeout uh, and efficiencies that you guys are looking for, or would you say it's more driven by the strength in the other areas, the semi-cap, like you were talking about earlier, uh, and other areas of strength? Uh, yeah, Rob, I would say it's a combination of the two. Uh, on the A&D side, we are um, uh, needing to take cost actions to align to the demand outlook, and so we've already taken a number of actions, and, and we'll be prepared to continue to take some if we need to. Um, but in the areas of health tech and capital equipment, we're seeing uh, good revenue growth, very strong revenue growth, frankly, in 21, uh, which is giving us uh, the benefit of scale. And then on the industrial side, we are starting to see some sequential improvement. Uh, and again, uh, because we've already taken cost productivity actions, um, a lot of that growth does help uh, come to the bottom line. Okay, great. Thanks for answering all the questions. Thanks, Rob. Paul Trotter with RBC Capital Markets, your line is open. Um, thanks very much and good morning. just wanted to uh, delve in a little bit more into the, the outlook for 21 on the ATS segment, uh, the 10% growth. What do you see when you're looking at that forecast and building up to it as a potential you know, upside uh, uh, opportunities uh, and conversely, you know, potential downside risks uh, when you go for an outlook? Hey, Rob. Um, yeah, so we look forward, uh, you know, I would say, you know, first we have a comprehensive roadmap and engagements across all the core technologies in the data center uh, this past year and also going into uh, 21, uh, we see 400G as a key driver of uh, service provider growth. We have strong uh, positions with market leaders and other speeds and also a healthy white box business. We see the edge as being a source of growth. Uh, we have developing edge programs such as uh, MEC, multi-access edge compute servers that are resonating with emerging customers. And we're continuing to focus on enabling these customers with the right edge solutions as their requirements evolve. We're seeing some strength from our communications customers on the wired side, driven by expansion of 4G to 4G plus to 5G. And we also have you know, a strong data center cloud offering and portfolio positions us across you know the broader uh, edge and then lastly i would say compute is a, is a source of uh, source of growth for us we have a healthy business as uh, data centers continue to expand ai and ml applications they continue to grow um, and we also have healthy compute positions with our enterprise uh, customers and service provide customers as well 
So I would say the broader trends is just, you know, additional growth by, uh, you know, web scale demand strength. The downsides could be, um, you know, just uh, uh, over buffering perhaps, or, you know, a broader slowdown in some of these secular trends. Uh, you know, these tents, uh, service providers tend to uh, uh, buy, buy equipment and, and consume their own demand. So uh, sometimes we may have a build out to have a little bit of a pause demand until uh, the next technology products uh, hit. Uh, so I would think that would be on, on the flip side. I think uh, you're referring to HPS there, uh, uh, is that correct? Yeah, I was talking about HPS. I'm sorry, did you say ATS or HPS? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Specifically for ATS, when you look at the very... Oh, ATS, I'm sorry. No problem. Well, hopefully that was helpful for you on HPS for ATS. I'm sorry about that. For ATS, we see growth in capital equipment, as I mentioned before. Again, uh, good long-term circular trends in terms of uh, uh, you know, um, build-out of data centers, expansion of high-speed communication networks, things like that. Uh, we certainly see health tech expanding uh, in, uh, in 21 as the need for diagnostic equipment uh, continues to uh, be very strong, PPE, uh, ultrasounds, things on those lines. Uh, we see um, aerospace um, still being sluggish, but you know I mentioned uh, during the call that we won nine new customers. Uh, those programs should be turning into revenue in the back half of 21 and, and helping out our commercial aerospace uh, business. Uh, and then lastly, our industrial business um, is flattening out and, and fully starting to turn the corner. We're expecting some growth from our industrial business in 21 as well as uh, COVID. Uh, 19 subsides. And just delving a little bit more into commercial aerospace, I mean, typically, how long are the, the lead times in that segment? And are you, I mean, you mentioned that those new programs may lead to, to, to revenue in the second half of the year. Um, in terms of your other programs, the existing programs, I mean, do you see them normalizing by the end of the year, or is it there's still likely headwinds on the existing programs in that segment? Yeah, lead times are long. I mean, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, the programs that are ramping in the back half of the year, we actually won those programs uh, in uh, early in 2020. So they'll they'll start ramping in the back of um, of 21. Um, I would say um, commercial aerospace uh, still has a little bit of ebbs and flows, but I would say it's flattening out uh, right now uh, at trough levels. Okay, thank you for that. I'll pass the line. Okay. Oh, sorry. Thanos Muscovilus with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, just circling back on ATS margins, um, I mean, if your message is you can get back to 5 to 6% uh, with what sounds like only a modest improvement in, in commercial aerospace, does that imply that as we head into 22, there, there might be upside to that range um, as commercial aerospace uh, has more of a recovery? Hi, Thanos. Good morning. Um, yes. So as you know, uh, before uh, the pandemic, aerospace and defense was our largest segment within 
uh, ATS and uh, had very strong uh, margins overall, and, and frankly, we're, we're the largest contributor of profitability within ATS. Uh, that's not the case right now. And so working towards getting back to the 5 to 6% range, um, we're expecting a nominal contribution from A&D. And so uh, when A&D does return, and, and it will, and we continue to have the capabilities to support the market when that demand does come back, uh, that would be um, a positive thing for overall ATS. Okay. And then um, if you could expand on your comments uh, for, for display equipment, uh, you mentioned the uptick you're expecting later this year um, with small screens. Should we think of that as, as kind of a, a gradual ramp, or might that be more of a step function as, as new capacity is slated to come online? Uh, you're talking about capital equipment, uh, Thanos? Uh, display equipment, display equipment specifically. Oh, display equipment. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, have to, I have to check twice now before I answer, ask, <laughs> answer any question. Uh, yeah, display, I would think it's, uh, it's, it would be more of a gradual ramp. I think uh, it's a, it'll be a tale of two halves. Uh, you know, I think it will be a sluggish first half and a, and a stronger second half. Uh, but as we go from half to half, it'll, it'll build as the year gets uh, long. What we're seeing uh, in the second half of the year is um, uh, hopefully growth by uh, mobile orders and new program ramps coming from China, Japan, and Korea-based OEMs. We've also seen some improvements in, in uh, panel prices and panel makers' profitability, which bodes well to them spending additional CapEx. As far as uh, new large fabs coming online, that be, might be more of a 22 possibility. Yeah, I think I think display will get uh, stronger uh, as time goes on. I think we're expecting that the back half of 21 to be uh, much stronger than the first half of uh, 21, but we're also expecting 22 to to be much stronger than 20 uh, the back half of 21 as well. So, you know, the long-term trends for display are um, are positive. Uh, but I think 22 will will be uh, a much stronger than 21 for display, all things considered. Great, thanks, Saul. Last one. Okay. Rupu Bhattacharya with Bank of America. Your line is open. Hi, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, the first one, just to clarify, uh, the CCS segment revenues for fiscal 21, are they still expected to decline double digits year on year? Because you've guided HPS to grow high single, then that would mean the rest of the CCS segment would be declining uh, somewhere in the mid-teens year on year. Would that be all Cisco? I'm just trying to reconcile this because I think you said in 2020, uh, CCS X Cisco grew high single digits. So, I mean, is or maybe just to clarify, I mean, is CCS revenues, I mean, are, do you expect them to uh, decline double digits year on year in fiscal 21? Yeah, um, morning, Ruplu. Uh, we're not giving specific uh, guidance on overall CCS revenue, but I'll tell you the, the dynamics um, to think about. Uh, the first one is we are targeting HPS, again, to grow in the high single-digit range. It's a $850 million business right now, um, and so that will generate growth. Cisco will be coming out, uh, and Cisco is going to come out for the entire year, so um, that is going to be a headwind for the remainder of the portfolio. And then for the rest of CCS, we're expecting right now for it to be uh, relatively um, flat going into 2021. There was a very strong level of demand that took place in 2020 um, because of the um, all the, the dynamics that we, we've been talking about. Uh, and so some of that will subside, and that will be offset by programs that we're ramping. So. Um, growth in HPS, Cisco comes out, and the rest of the portfolio to be flat. And the only thing I would add, Ruplu, is that 
most importantly, CCS is growing in, in our targeted areas is, is what we're focused on. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the clarification on that. And then just on the ATS side, um, you're guiding uh, mid-single-digit decline for the first quarter, and the full year is still up uh, 10%. So any comments on the seasonality we should expect throughout the year? Can we can we expect, like, from 2Q onwards, year-on-year revenue growth, or would you expect that, uh, you know, the growth to be more in the second half versus the first half? Uh, yeah, hi, Ruplu. Uh So, yes, we are showing a decline in the first quarter, and then we are expecting a full year of 10% growth. Uh, a lot of that growth is going to be back half um, oriented, although um, it could lead to year-to-year growth even in the second quarter. Uh, we, you know, we're not going to give quarterly um, guidance at this point, but uh, what I would say is, is that we think that the first quarter will be um, – uh, in terms of growth rates, be the largest headwind for the full year. Uh, and then where that growth is coming from is, uh, Rob's t- touched on a few of them. Within A&D, we have been winning uh, some new programs, and so we should see some uh, growth towards the back end of the year. We are already seeing strong demand on the semiconductor side, which will continue, but we think could accelerate uh, towards the end of the year. And then display is also expected to come online a little bit more in the back end of the year. Um, so uh, first quarter, we expect to be um, a drag and then some growth coming after that. Okay, thanks for that. And for my last question, I think you're guiding SGNA to 51 to 53 million um, for the first quarter. Uh, what were COVID-related expenses in the quarter? How should we think about that going forward? And should we think about um, you know SGNA at this level for the rest of the year, at least, in, or maybe in terms of percent or revenue? Can you maintain that for the rest of the year? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so t- uh, to answer both questions, uh, Ruplu, we did have COVID costs in the uh, quarter. Uh, it was in the uh, range of around $8 million, um, some in SGNA, some in COGS as well. Uh, we did uh, generate a number of recoveries, uh, both from customers as well as from various government programs in the countries that we're in, uh, which uh, uh, mostly offset that. So we had about $10 million of recoveries. Um, but when you look at the full year, uh, we had a negative impact. We ended up having uh, far greater COVID costs than we did uh, overall recoveries. In terms of our SGNA going into next year, um, we are looking to maintain our SGNA at dollar levels that are similar to 2020. We're driving productivity in a number of areas, but we're also taking the opportunity to invest in um, some of the areas where we're seeing very rapid growth. We will be making further investments in the HPS business. We are making engineering investments uh, within the ATS business, and uh, those are really um, aligned with roadmaps that we have that are, where the businesses are showing good, strong growth for uh, a number of years. And so we want to maintain our capabilities in 2021 uh, because we are um, bullish on the longer-term revenue outlook. Great. Thanks for all the clarifications. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ruplu. Jim Suva with City. Your line is open. Thank you. You have been um, very clear with the Cisco disengagement. Now that that's behind us and we look more forward positively to the future, um, is your book of business, you know, pretty stable with those customers as well as your profit profile going the right direction where you want it? Or are there additional um, disengagements or pruning or realignments to products that we should be mindful of, you know, as you look ahead? Hi, Jim. Good morning. Um yeah, I would say overall things are, are generally stable. You know, as I mentioned on the call, 
uh, one of the things we do uh, measure is how we rank on our customer scorecard. And, you know, we either rank number one or number two in over 90% of our customer scorecards. Uh, we're keeping uh, cost-effective networks and taking the appropriate actions to stay that way. I think we've proven that we're quite disciplined. Uh, so we're not pursuing revenue for revenue's sake. We're staying aligned to our strategy. So, you know, at times uh, we might feel that it's better to step away uh, from very low margin business, but we do that to a strategic lens. Uh, and our goal really is to grow our business uh, profitably in the right segments and across CCS specifically. Uh, I think we're doing that and uh, very happy with uh, the progress we're making in, in HPS and also the uh, because of the value adds that we're providing to our customers, the margin profile of that incremental business that we're booking. Great. Thank you so much for the details and clarifications. Kurt Smartz with Stiefel, your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, hoping to get a little bit more color on the supply environment, given all the headlines regarding component shortages. Um, I'm hoping you can talk about any constraints you may be seeing and how you're responding from an inventory procurement perspective. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, it's certainly uh, very dynamic uh, out there. The situation is fluid. What we're seeing is a, a demand increase coupled with the impact of uh, COVID. Uh, uh, we've been preparing for this. We've probably saw this coming um, a couple of quarters ago, so we've been preparing for one or two quarters of uh, of uncertainty, uh, you know, just across the market, <clears throat> we're seeing, which bodes well for our semi-cap business, that foundries are reaching capacity. The eight-inch wafers are, um, are running tight in, in 21. The high-end semiconductors, logic, MOSFETs, transistors, memory, all commodities that are increasing lead times. Or we're seeing auto levels spike for chip resistors and even MLCCs again. And several manufacturers have started to implement um, order entry controls uh, based on customers' historical consumption to make sure we don't get into uh, you know too much uh, buffering. You know that being said, we've opened up our windows, um, ordering windows, um, uh, and placing our orders you know at the new status lead times and paying very close attention to the dynamics in the marketplace and working with our customers to make sure we secure. Uh, supply. We've also, you know, increased our resources in this area to make sure we we stay on top of the dynamic situation. Understood. Great. Um, and then on the health tech side, I'm hoping you could maybe elaborate a bit more on where we stand with um, COVID uh, product related ramps versus elective product demand, um, and how those two should sort of reconcile in the coming quarters. Yeah, uh, COVID-related uh, products and di more diagnostic-related pro products are the ones that are um, certainly driving the majority of our growth, ultrasounds, uh, PPE, diagnostic equipment, uh, anesthesia, respiratory, patient monitoring, imaging devices, things like that. Um, surgical instruments, things that require elective surgery has been sluggish. Uh, we expect that to uh, uptick in the back part of the year. Uh, but, but time will tell. It's really going to be a, a function of um, uh, how quickly uh, COVID um, uh, subsides. Understood. Um, and then maybe one more, if I could. Um, sure. Just on the defense, on the defense business. Um, given the new U.S. administration, 
um, and maybe any expectations for defense budgets. I'm wondering how that should sort of factor into the long-term ATS growth profile of uh, roughly 10%. Yeah, so, you know, within our uh, A&D business, about uh, 60% is commercial, about 40% is uh, defense. Our defense business is stable. We're looking to, to grow that more. We've recently uh, doubled the size of our uh, New Hope uh, Minneapolis facility, which was part of the uh, ATRIN uh, acquisition from 50,000 square feet to 100,000 square feet. It is now open for business. Uh, we have a full funnel. A lot of the um, business that we have booked is, is headed into that facility. So, you know, we're looking to, you know, increase our, um, our defense business uh, uh, you know, moving forward. And also, you know, the Biden administration recently just signed the Buy America Act uh, as well. And, um, you know, that bodes well for having ITAR facilities uh, in the U.S., especially as it relates to um, providing the U.S. government, um, you know, products for their use. Great. Thank you very much. We have one more question from Daniel Chan with TD Securities. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for squeezing me in. Um, your your net debt position is uh, getting to break even here, and if you hit your $100 million target this year, you'll be in a nice uh, net cash position throughout the year. So just any thoughts on uh, how you want to deploy that capital? You did talk about the NCIB and the share price. Um, are you kind of leaning towards that versus acquisitions? And maybe uh, any comments you have about the acquisition pipeline would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Dan. Uh, so, you know, to your point, we're, we're at a, almost a break-even level right now. We are looking to generate strong free cash flow going into next year. Um, we have the NCIB program at this point open to be opportunistic. Um, as you know, we, we have a track record within the industry of, of buying back, frankly, the most shares um, uh, relative to the rest of the peer group. And so we are willing to act uh, opportunistically when we believe the share price is uh, undervalued. It was undervalued for the majority of 2020. Um, but we'll take an opportunistic approach uh, as we go through the year because we're going to continue to weigh that against uh, organic and uh, inorganic uh, alternatives. Uh, alternatives such as continuing to build dry powder by paying down some more debt, reducing our interest expense, working towards uh, expanding our EPS, uh, investing in um, other types of uh, growth programs and capabilities. Um, but we do continue to have an active M&A pipeline. Um, but we're just very disciplined uh, with our filter. Uh, we've looked at a significant amount of transactions through 2020 and uh, for one of the few reasons that we have in our filter, it didn't, um, you know, didn't get our support. Uh, so we'll continue to do that. We're looking to invest in areas where uh, we have uh, good, solid strategic roadmaps and where we know that we can plug in the capabilities and do something really good with it, uh, whether that's in our ATS business or uh, in our HPS business. Uh, so we'll continue to um, uh, take a similar approach, um, but it is nice when you have a net debt position that uh, it opens up uh, a lot of alternatives. There are no further questions at this time. I'd now like to turn the call back over to Robert for final remarks. Thank you, Jack. After a strong finish to 2020, our focus is on continuing to execute for our customers in 2021. Our margins in ATS are expanding and we anticipate entering back into our target margin range by the end of the year on the back of strong forecasted growth. And in CCS, we expect hardware platform solutions to continue growing and for CCS to deliver margins firmly in their target range for this year. I'd like to thank our global team for remaining vigilant and keeping themselves safe and each other safe. 
and thank you for joining today's call. I look forward to updating you as we progress throughout the year. Please stay safe. This concludes today's call. We thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.